Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. We are all dead! We're supposed to make the world a better place. What happened? I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not gonna take this anymore! I know Kung Fu. You either die a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become a villain. I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not gonna take this anymore! This whole thing is insane! This whole thing is insane! 300 years ago, you'd have been burned at the stake. What do all men with power want? More power. This is now the United States of Zombieland. This whole thing is insane! Man is even capable of nothing but destruction! Everybody is stuck with the things that they're not proud of. More power. Welcome to the desert of the real. More power. There should be only one. Are you a God-fearing man, Senator? You're such a strange phrase. I've always thought of God as a teacher, as a bringer of light, wisdom, and understanding. You see, I think what you really are afraid of is me. Happy heresies and welcome to the desert of the real. Heresy shouldn't be this much fun, but it is. It just is. Especially when you get the audio version of AB Live. This one, episode 53. Ron censored and unfiltered. Just like the truth you've been looking for across all your existences. Supercharged by stellar audience participation. Robert Sullivan returned to the virtual Alexandria to discuss his latest book from his lauded Cinema Symbolism series. We went underneath so many esoteric hoods to contemplate synchromysticism, social engineering, occult casting, and predictive programming in movies. We covered culture-changing films like Joker, Dark City, The Shape of Water, Pan's Labyrinth, and more, as well as the TV series Twin Peaks. From Gnosticism to Freemasonry to Black Magic and Kabbalah, no occult rock was left unturned. As a bonus for Patrons, Red Circle members, and AB Prime members, I'll include a section from our last Cinema Symbolism interview where Robert took a deep dive into David Lynch, from his philosophy to his cinematic style. We also covered V for Vendetta and From Hell, as well as other Alan Moore films, and Freemason themes in Hollywood movies, and much more. Perfect compliment and you won't want to miss it. 
I'm so grateful to those of you who support this red pill cafeteria, and I hope I have been a good servant of Sophia to you. Your support and company keep me going. Don't forget the Finding Hermes program and my voiceover availability. Whether it's an audiobook, commercial, podcast intro, or an audio broadcast to another planet, I can bring starry results to your project. Please remember too, you can now tip via Stripe, since many of you use it, found in the show notes of any audio podcast. And you can join the simple but effective Red Circle RSS feed that works in the podcast provider of your choice. We need Gnosis more than ever, needless to say. You won't find this high-quality Gnostic and Hermetic wisdom or guests and their unique insights anywhere else in cyberspace or even meat space. But enough of my short drivel. Let us to our latest AB Live. First, there was darkness. Then came the strangers. They were a race as old as time itself. They had mastered the ultimate technology, the ability to alter physical reality by will alone. They called this ability tuning. But they were dying. Their civilization was in decline. And so they abandoned their world, seeking a cure for their own mortality. Their endless journey brought them to a small blue world in the farthest corner of the galaxy. Our world. Here they thought they had finally found what they had been searching for. Once again, here we are at the end of the world, or perhaps at the tangential universe, as we will be discussing tonight. And this is a uh, very excited to have this show, as we have a guest who is truly a friend of the Gnostics, an expert in occultism, great taste in movies, and an eye for all the all the men behind the curtain of movies, and that is Robert Sullivan, who arrives to the virtual Alexandria again to discuss his new book, or in his latest book in his series, Cinema Symbolism. Robert, thanks for coming by again. Well, thank you, Miguel. Thank you, Fance, for having me on, uh, rejoining you in the virtual Alexandria. It's my pleasure to be here. Yeah, I guess this is what about my sixth or seventh time. I feel like I said, I say this, it's cliche. I say it at the start of every show. I feel like a regular now. So it's always great to be black, be back, and I look forward uh, very much to uh, the show. Yeah, me heretical casa is too heretical casa, my friend. So always good to have you there. And uh, like we were talking before, uh, this is, I feel, is your best uh, cinema symbolism book. And I hate to use the word flows better, the cliche of writers, but this one flows better. It's tighter you really hit a lot of great dimensions in movie and are able to tie it into other movies as the book progresses there there's a grand narrative and in your introduction on uh, you know on all the different things or powers behind movies is excellent and i would tell the audience too just this chapter on Gnostic cinema is worth the price excellent book robert ties in not just what is he doesn't just talk about what is gnostic cinema but he ties each of the the movies to a different thinker, Valentinus, Basilides, so forth. And I know you've done it in your other books, but this one you really, you really upgraded. So good job, Robert. Well, thank you, Miguel. That's high praise. I really appreciate it. I, I was really pleased with the way the book came out. Uh, it, 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 I did give it a little more um, TLC this time, and uh, I think it, I think it was worth the wait. Uh, it, it, I think it was the payoff was worth it. Uh, one of the things I was on another show, and I'll mention it briefly here, was the, the book was actually done um, at one point, or was nearing completion, and uh, I believe this was at the either the, the end of 2019 and the very early stages of 2020, January of 2020, and uh, there were two movies that were recently released on Blu-ray, and I was very eager to see them, and it was Joker and Midsommar, mm -hmm. and I just watched I just watched both of them, and I was blown away, and I thought, wait a minute, time out. 
let's pump the brakes here. I thought there's just so much going on in both those movies. I basically literally stopped, you know, stopped the process of the book. And I thought I, I have to include these movies. Uh, they're just too important. There's just too much going on. And, uh, you know, that did delay it. And uh, I, I don't regret doing it. I, I think it I think it was worth it. And um, yeah, you know, you mentioned the flow of the book. Uh, it's one of the things I'm doing right now is I'm actually going back and looking at my other four books and I'm actually retweaking them a little bit. There's some parts of it that I don't like. There's some parts of it I do like very much, but I am going back and doing some edits on uh, some of my earlier books. Um, so that, that'll be happening in the next year or two. Uh, I'll be releasing, it's not going to be a third edition or a second edition. It's just going to revise uh, the editions that are currently released. But no, I, I appreciate your praise. I really do, especially coming from you. And uh, like I said, it was a lot of hard work, and um, I'm I'm happy with the way it came out as well. Awesome, yeah. I can always tell uh, how good a book is by me not wanting to put it down and losing sleep and cursing myself. <laughs> but it was worth the the rush of a good book or movie or novel. You're like fuck it, <laughs> but uh, and this one had me again. Your chapters on Midsummer, uh, the Shape of Water, and so forth, Joker. I just couldn't put it down. And we definitely want to talk about these movies, especially Joker was more than a movie. It's a cultural event. And sure. uh, we agree it sort of presage what was going to the disaster yeah. that was 2020. But first, <laughs> I want to, of course, we got to talk about who else is here. You know, he was born a pauper to a pawn on a Christmas day when the New York Times said God is dead. He's got to be Levon. No, it's not Levon. It's Vance the Moondog. Vance, thanks for joining us. <laughs> oh, yes, always, I've been uh, listening to Elton to John today. I guess <laughs> you have. <laughs> More like Rocket Man, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's always Rocket Man at the virtual That's Alexandria. So. <laughs> that is true. That is true. So awesome. Awesome. Let's see. As people start going into the rooms, into the YouTube and the Facebook comments as always you guys probably know the rules if you have questions for rob please put them in all caps or many questions those of you do who uh do the donation the super chats will immediately get put to the top uh i'm going to also put here is the some of the movies that we covered so if you want to ask a question you can ask a question of one of these movies and we're not all over the place uh, of course, if you read a Robert's past books, feel free to bring up one of the movies he's covered in the past. But those are Twink some Pete's? of them. Is that a Disney version? Twink Pete's? <laughs> <laughs> I screwed up that too. Twinkie Pete. Yes, exactly. It's <laughs> I better change that. <laughs> but a um, little house cleaning here. Um, uh, what was I going to say? A lot going on. For you in the audience, uh, one thing we're going to do is, uh, for those of you in the AB Prime subscription, uh, we're going to change our password this month, something we rarely do. So Vance and I will get in our Mad Max cage and decide what's going to be the new password. So please check back, but please keep in mind there is going to be a new password. Uh, other than that, we've got some exciting shows coming up in the future for you. We're going to have an AB Live with Micah Dank on the astrotheology of the Book of Enoch and the Book of Revelation. We'll have a summer special with some scholars on understanding the Gnostics, uh, two experts on Gnosticism, sort of a... Um, yeah, a summer special on Gnosticism. We'll have a Finding Hermes on Evil Pharma and Holistic Alternatives. And eventually, towards the end of summer, Chris Knows is going to join us to talk about the gnosis of Jack Kirby and graphic novels. So a lot going on, and I really appreciate your support, those of you who make it happen. And, uh, of course, love your support. I should mention, too, that... There are other alternatives that you can support Aeon Byte. Let me put it on the screen here. I'm now on Rockfin, and that's a subscription service where you get not just full shows for Aeon Byte, but a ton of other people, very varied in their extra content from uh, Jimmy Dore to Jay Dyer. It's just a it, Rockfin is a great place for uh, censorship free if you want to support with crypto. It's been successful in the last month. I've gone in one month. I've gone from 400 subscribers to more than 5,000. So it's exploding on Rockfin. 
You've also got Odyssey 2, which is another favorite for those who are seeking to support with crypto and who want to be in a place that is not run by corporate overlords. So that's some of the house cleaning I've got for now. There'll be more, but uh, let's get back to Rob. I guess we should start with uh, The Joker. Again, this is a, a movie that came out in October 2019. Seemed like a different world, but this movie was not just a movie. It really was a cultural event. It was a giant mirror in the face of society. And in a way, like what you say in your book, and I'm saying it sort of uh, really predicted how dysfunctional society would become or is. So let us know your thoughts on Joker, Rob. Well, I, I, th I think you, I think you said it as best as just as well as I could. Uh, I mean, the movie, I really like, I mean, if you just strip away and don't talk about the symbolism, I just thought the movie was outstanding anyway. Uh, I mean, it's no wonder he, you know, won the, the actor for, for, you know, with the Oscars. And I, I just really liked how they tied in a lot of the Batman mythology to it. It was kind of, you know, went under the radar. I mean, you have the, the posters in the, in the ha-ha's club for amusement mile. And if you're familiar with the Batman mythology, of course, that's one of the Joker's hangouts, uh, you know, later on, um, the, when, when they, when they go to, uh, um, Wayne, Wayne Manor, you know, in the little the, Bruce Wayne is a kid, of course, he slides down the pole. I mean, you can't help but think of the old Adam West uh, TV show. So it's just little things like that, that I liked, but then, yeah, you get really into a, a lot of the darker symbolism of the movie. I mean, you know, you do have this alchemical theme, you know, that these movie, that these movie makers really like to play around with was the transition of the character from one thing to another. In this case, you know, you got the, the failed comic to the criminal psychopath. Um, you've got the acting, you know, the actor in it, Robert De Niro, um, which is clearly designed to conjure two previous Martin Scorsese movies. I mean, this is like a, uh, you know, you know, I call it a caught casting. You know, it's really, I, I've kind of evolved on this and it's really, to me, something coming out of the world of hermeticism. I mean, it's like, a, you know, an art of memory technique. You know, this is clearly designed to conjure uh, the king of comedy, and um, taxi driver. I mean, that's irrefutable. Mm -hmm. And um, and then you get, you know, I mean, it, it's a very dark movie. I mean, my God, the whole the 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 face paint is based on John Wayne Gacy, uh, you know, Pogo the clown, the the child murderer. And then then the music um, when he's dancing uh, down the steps is Gary Glitter. I mean, that was a, a pedophile um, that he's rocking <laughs> out to. Um, and then and then you're right. I mean, the whole thing just sort of presages you know, kind of predicts this whole dysfunctionality with the George Floyd murder, the riots, the burning down of everything, um, the tearing down of society. I mean, you have the Thomas Wayne character who is clearly meant to be a Donald Trump analog. Uh, that's, again, you know, stands out like a sore thumb. Um, and again, this was a movie, like I said at the beginning, where the book was pretty much complete. You know, I was working on the conclusion of it. And it's probably, you know, like January 2nd, 2020. And I'm looking at these two Blu-rays I got for Christmas. You know, or I think I got Midsommar for Christmas. I think I bought Joker soon thereafter. I'm looking at them. I'm thinking, oh, let me go watch these movies. You know, I'm watching my jaws hitting the ground. I thought, oh, wait a minute, you know, time out. You know, let me just, you know, stop what I'm doing. And I just knew I had to include those two movies in uh, in, in the book. And I, like you said, I, I, there's there's just so much going in and on in both those movies. I mean, it's a very detailed analysis, to say the least. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, like you said, it does, you say in your book, it's a slam against wokeness, but it's very multidimensional. It does show oh, it yeah. a very important, it's a treatise on how we are all, we've all been screwed. I mean, and, and all of us, if you watch the movie, honestly, can understand what part of the middle class, the lower classes and all that have been screwed by the elite, for example, when Joker gets uh, his uh, his therapist, he, he can't see his therapist anymore. I know somebody who's embedded in uh, AA and others. For years, it doesn't matter who the president is or the administration, right. psychiatry and rehab money from the government is getting cut. It's like a frog in boiling water, which is the theme of the movie, is that everybody's getting screwed over and you wonder when we will hit that boiling point. Oh, I, I agree. And it is it is a slap in the face of the woke culture. Um, you know, the 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 you know, there was this the, there was this sense that the the Arthur Fleck character was this raging white male, the Donald Trump supporter who was, you know, trying to tear <laughs> down society. You know, he's racist and this and that. But it's like, wait a minute. You know, he shoots. He kills only white people in the movie. 
and he's in love with an African-American woman. So, you know, you know, tell me again how this is, is racist. Um, so, yeah, I really I really did believe it was sort of a, a slap in the face, you know, of, of wokeness, as it were. And there, you know, it, it's it's funny because I, I actually kind of contemplated when, whenever there's a political dimension to a film, I'm always somewhat hesitant to talk about it because you're always you know, it's the old, it's the old line. You're always going to wind up offending half your audience. Of course, if it's an older movie like The Wizard of Oz, you know, it's William McKinley and Williams Jennings Bryan, you know, no one cares. Um, and I kind of almost hesitated to put this in. And as you know, if you've read the book, and I know you have, you know, there's some stuff about Donald Trump in there. Also, some of the strange, you know, coincidence, coincidences that surround him. And I, again, I, I, I hedged to whether to put this in. And, and there's always something with me. Um, and this is just the way I write. And, and this has happened in all my other books, so Royal Archer, whatever. Um, you know, whenever whenever there's a sort of voice in my head telling me, oh, don't put this in, this could wind up offending somebody or don't do it. That's kind of like my clear cut, you know, my clear cut signal that, yes, it has to go in. Um, that, yes, it has to go into the book. Um, so that's why I put that stuff in. But, yeah, I mean, it is. If you look at Joker, like, you know, what, what was it, October 19, 2019? It is. It's almost like a roadmap for, for what was to come. I mean, I think it's uh, strange to say the least. I would say so too, and I, I love how you caught who is a uh, inspiration. Part of how he wakes up. Her name is, of course, uh, Sophie, Sophie Dumond, or something like that. So you have the Sophianic character, and then you've got oh, right. uh, Joker. Who would you say? But Joker, from Heath Ledger to Jack Nicholson, is such a fascinating anti-hero. And perhaps, how do you see the Joker? Yeah, I mean, it is. He's probably one of the greatest, like you said, anti-heroes of all time. I guess he ranks up there with Hannibal Lecter, I suppose. Um, <laughs> you know, when you look at it, in, if you look at it now in perspective, looking back, in my opinion, this is just Robert Sullivan speaking here. I mean, I, you know, just my take on it. I loved, I, I saw Batman 89 in the theater. and I think I saw it like the first day it was out. And I love the movie. That movie is so dated now. Um, the Nicholson Joker, in my opinion, resembles more of the Caesar Romero Joker, more of just yeah, kind of like, exactly. the, like the buffoon type thing, you know, the buffoon character, um, you know, kind of, you know, the crime Lord, but he's a buffoon. The one, the one that I think really hit the grand slam with the Joker, the Joaquin Phoenix Joker is fantastic. The Heath Ledger one is my favorite. Um, mm. I don't, I don't think that will change. I mean, cause that is just, you know, that's just the straight, you know, anarchy, psychotic Joker who doesn't, you know, you know, I'll say, you know, doesn't give a fuck about anything, even his own self, um, you know, just doesn't care. Um, and that's the way the Joker is. I mean, you know, he, he doesn't care about anyone, any, anything, you know, it's the devil Mercurius as it were. Um, and then, then there's the other one, the Jared Leto one from suicide squad. I mean, that's okay. It's an admirable turn in, I mean, kind of forgettable. Um, so in my opinion, the two jokers that really stand out are the Joaquin Phoenix one. I don't think you can, I don't think it's fair to compare them because they're two different movies. Um, but the, the Heath Ledger and the, and, and the Joaquin Phoenix ones, in my opinion, are the, are the two best ones. I like the Nicholson Joker, but again, I think it's dated. And, and when you watch that movie now, it definitely, at least in my eyes, resembles more of the old Batman TV show with Adam West, um, you know, than, than the, you know, the cutting edge of today. Yeah, I would agree. I think the Nicholson one hasn't aged well, and no. I like the the anarchist uh, trickster archetype uh, that basically forces us to look at ourselves as more cathartic. And again, holds it really is our shadow coming out to play, and that's why why we love him. I know Heath Ledger; he uh, based it a lot on uh, Malcolm McDowell from um, A Clockwork Orange, <laughs> other characters. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, you know who Joaquin Phoenix? Who did he? Does, did he ever give a hint who he was trying to? Who he's inspired I, by or anything? I know, I know that he based his dance on the Ray Bolger, uh, in of Ray Bolger's dance, uh, the Scarecrow from The Wizard of Oz. I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, but no, I, I thought, I thought that that the 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 Joker character that Phoenix is playing, the one that it reminded me of the most the, from the source material, was the Killing Joke comic by Alan Moore. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you know, we had the origin story of the failed comic um, that comes straight from the world of Alan Moore, you know, the killing joke. I mean, which is a classic, um, you know, that that to me was the angle the filmmakers were, were, were going for. Um, I, I thought it, I mean, it was just you know, the down and out loser, you know, you know, figure. It, it reminded me, I mean, a lot. I mean, again, um, 
you know, I, I draw a parallel and, and people have already, I haven't seen the movie yet, but they say the Cruella movie sort of runs parallel with the Joker, um, kind of reverse where it's the female. Um, and I thought the Joker movie with Joaquin Phoenix ran parallel to Black Swan. I, if you look at those two, there's a lot of similarities, um, you know, kind of the, the failed, frustrating artist living at home with the mother, the parental figure can't go anywhere, um, and eventually descends into total psychosis. Um, so you will you will see the parallel with Joker and Black Swan. I haven't seen Cruella yet. I'm most anxious to see it. Um, but you know, from what I've read a little bit online, that the Cruella movie kind of parodies the Joker movie with, with Joaquin Phoenix. So I'll have to see it. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Mm, awesome. Yeah, I haven't heard anything like that. And uh, uh, what do you think about Hollywood right now? Obviously, the pandemic and the lockdowns really shut things down. Movie theaters and everybody sure. shifted towards streaming and wondering, are people going to go back? Even uh, there was a story today, Barry Diller, the, the, the great Hollywood mogul, said uh, the, the ticket business is dead. I don't know if he meant the movie business, but he said, getting people into the seats is over. So what are your thoughts on this, Rob? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I was looking at the box office recently of two movies. It was um, just just out of curiosity. It was just to see what was going on. It, it was um, A Quiet Place 2 and Cruella, and they both looked like they were doing extremely well at the box office. I know what you're saying, though, about things like Netflix. I think a few movies debuted. Or I think I, think a, I, I know um, a few studios kind of gave up and were tired of waiting around. I know the one that was released, you know, the, there's Disney plus and I lose track of all of them, but the one, the, the raw doll, the witches, which was originally an Angelica Houston movie that came out in the early nineties. Doll hated it. Um, there's a funny story with that, but they remade it with Anne Hathaway, which was supposed to uh, originally supposed to go into the theater, but I think they just released it on some streaming you know, network. Netflix, I'm, I'm, yeah. yeah, I'm behind the times on this, but they, they just released it on TV or like some subscription based, you know, streaming network. Um, but I was looking at the box office of A Quiet Place 2 and Cruella. It looks like they were doing worldwide very, very well. Um, I think the, the movie theater business, just with the theater, will come back. Um, the one that I just saw that I was, you know, kind of blown away by um, some guy, some guy in an AMC theater bootlegged it. He filmed it with his phone and they put, he put it up on YouTube. And when Bloomhouse and Universal saw it, they were just like, screw it. You know, let's just drop the trailer. And this was for the new Halloween movie, Halloween Kills, um, which is the sequel to the Halloween 2018, which I loved. Um, I thought that movie was just fantastic. It blew me away. And when I watched the trailer for Halloween Kills, I mean, I just got to see this thing. I mean, it just looked absolutely fantastic. Um, so, you know, is it dead? No, I don't. I wouldn't go that far. Maybe it'll take a little longer to come around. I mean, I know Halloween Kills was um, was was slated for a 2020 release. Of course, that didn't happen because of the pandemic. Right. Uh, but but I'm looking forward to seeing that. Um, and of course, you know the studios. You know they're not hurting for money. None of them are. I mean, you get into you know when it's released on cable or you know the Blu-ray or DVD, they make money on that. So, I mean, I don't think Hollywood personally is going to be following, you know, Warner Brothers, Disney. I don't think they'll be following bankruptcies anytime soon. Um, but, you know, yeah, could could the um, method of seeing the movie change or, you know, maybe evolve a little bit? Yeah, I guess it could. The one thing the one thing I've noticed on my end, I'm here in Baltimore, um, is the one thing. I mean, this is just, again, me, Rob Sullivan speaking just from my own experience and just from, you know, being out um, is people are anxious to go back. Um mm -hmm. You know, you know, people are wanting to get out of their houses. People are wanting to go on vacation. People are wanting to go back. I, I was talking to a buddy that I work with, um, and he said it was just an average Monday. He said he was up at the shopping mall. He said it looked like Christmas Eve. He said it was wall to wall. He couldn't believe it. So I think there is a sense of people kind of wanting to return to a sense of normalcy after this thing. Um, so in my opinion, I think the movie theaters will start filling up again. And like I said, you know, I was looking at the box office for those two movies, and uh, they didn't seem to be hurting, to say the least. Yeah, but even then, I think the problem I feel, and of course, maybe I'm finally getting too old, <clears throat> the who is mocking me somewhere in the 60s, but the movies, I think, are just so shitty. I mean, I have not enjoyed any movie. I think the two movies I've liked in the last few years have both uh, have been um, 
with Nicolas Cage, of all people. Ironic, right? The goofy 80, 90s actor, and that was Mandy and uh, Color Out of Space. But these movies are just, I feel they're getting worse and worse. It's hard to find good fare. What do you think, Rob? Yeah, I, I like that. Um, somebody you get probably... People, you probably have a, a fan base as like you know people who like occultism and Freemasonry, so they're like, check this one out, Rob. So it might be easier for you. I like I like some of the movies that have been released uh, of late. I love the uh, the two Ari Aster movies, Hereditary and uh, Midsommar. I thought they were very good. I like Joker. I thought that was very good. Um, I like the Halloween in 2018. I mean, it's a slasher horror movie. It's not anything deep. But I thought it was entertaining. Uh, I, I, I liked it. I liked the way they kind of played around with, you know, I felt like I was watching like a Mandela effect movie almost where you had these bleeding timelines. I mean, the Halloween franchise franchise just loves erasing one timeline after another after another. And then, of course, you have the standalone Halloween three, uh, which is kind of like in its own universe. Um, and I really liked how 18, the Halloween 18 movie kind of had all these bleeding through. Um, you had Halloween two, Halloween four, Halloween three, um, you know, kind of like bleeding through. It was like almost like a Mandela effect movie. I thought that, I thought that worked with great effect. Um, but you know, it's funny. I always find myself if I'm just sitting around bored or writing or, you know, editing or whatever, and I want to watch a movie, I always do find myself kind of putting on for whatever reason, like the old universal horror movies, um, you know, from the thirties and forties. Um, I, I very seldom, I, I, I like the modern movies and I do watch them for when I analyze them, of course. Um, but I always find myself going back to like, you know, Dracula or the Wolfman or House of Frankenstein or movies like that. Um, those are ones that always, I, I guess, just part of my childhood watching them, you know, when I was a kid on like, you know, Saturday night at 10 o'clock, you know, pre, pre age of video, you know, and this is the only way you could watch them was on, you know, you know, chiller theater and things like that. We, the one in Baltimore was called the ghost host. And um, if you wanted to watch, you know, again, this was pre-video. So if you wanted to watch these old universal horror movies, you know, this was it. Um, so I always find myself turning back to those. But no, I did. I do like the films of Ari Aster. Um, and uh, I did like the Halloween. And like I said, I am looking forward to seeing the Cruella movie. But, uh, you know, you know, it, it, the you know, that that's just my taste. Uh, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, as it were. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I just can't handle them. <laughs> Something's changed with me. And yeah. I see, uh, yeah, Rhyme in the chat. What about Parasite? Parasite was pretty good. Again, it's kind of like Joker. It came out right before uh, the world went completely mad and closed down again. And it's a very good uh, class warfare movie. So I enjoyed it. So awesome. And um, you just talked about occult casting. In our last interview, we did talk about uh subliminal uh messaging uh social engineering uh all that stuff but what is occult casting rob yeah th this is an interesting phenomenon and this is definitely something that these these filmmakers like to do and this is i call it occult casting it's just a coin it's just a term that i coined i view it now as more of a, a art of memory mnemonic um that, that's the way I, I now view it and that's where these filmmakers will cast an actor or an actress um and place them in a film um to conjure another performance and by doing so kind of invest the new movie with the vibe of that old movie um we we talked about i mean like i said the the one that stands out like a sore thumb is robert de niro and joker this is clearly designed to conjure the king of comedy where he played a, a Arthur Fleck analog named Rupert or Rupert Pumpkin, I believe his name was. And it's again, it's the same sort of character. You know, he has delusions uh, being this famous comedian and he winds up kidnapping the host, uh, which I believe was Jerry Lewis and yeah. uh, holding him hostage. And then, of course, Taxi Driver with the whole, you know, psychological meltdown, which is, of course, Travis Bickle, and this is what Arthur Fleck undergoes. Um, and again, you know, it, it's it's one of the one of the movies that um, stood out to me when I first noticed it was the Max von Sydow casting in in Star Wars: The First For, Force Awakens. Yeah. I guess this is Episode Seven, I suppose, where von Sydow just turns up very briefly at the beginning of this movie. And I always kind of I always kind of thought to myself, well, why did they hire von Sydow for this? Uh, you know, they could have put anyone in there. And then it struck me like a ton of bricks. I thought, no, they couldn't have put anyone in there because this is designed to conjure two other movies that Von Sydow was in. Um, and if you've seen The Force Awakens, the movie opens on the desert planet and, and Von Sydow uh, 
plays this sort of sagistic, you know, you know, recluse hermit, as it were. And he confronts this dark, evil lord, uh, Kylo Ren, and he gets struck down. And uh, the, the two movies that I immediately jumped into my head, it was, oh, it's this is a retelling of Dune, um, where, where Von Cito plays the hermit character on Arrakis. And he gets struck down by Baron Hakonan, I think it is. Right. So it's 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 kind of it's kind of like a transfer, where Kylo Ren now becomes this Baron Harkonnen savage type figure, and Von Cito is again the hermit who gets killed. And of course, the other one is the Exorcist, again in the desert, confronts the evil statue of Pazuzu, and uh, you know it's like investing the the First Order and Kylo with this evil presence, as it were. And um, the filmmakers are, are very good with this. Uh, they, you got the Nero, you got Boncito, uh, the the one. Oh God, what's the actor's name in, in the Matrix in the sequel? Um, oh, what's his name? He played the newscaster in the Omega Man. Its name's escaping me. Um, and he oh gives the God, same God, speech. Yeah, yeah he, he gives the same speech to Neo that he gives in the Omega Man. Only it's reversed. Um, yeah, where he's saying, talking about, yeah, yeah, you know, protecting mankind, and then the Omega Man, it's destroying mankind. And I immediately recognized. So I thought, oh, this they're is both kind of Luddites. Yeah, they're both characters are Luddites. They want to destroy. They're they're very yeah. wary of technology. Yeah, good yeah. point. Good eye. Yeah, I, I forget the actor's name. Anthony Zerby. That's it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's Anthony Zerby. He plays Matthias in. Um, in uh, the Omega Man, and I forget the name of his mm -hmm. ca the character in uh, the Matrix Reloaded, uh, one of the councilmen, something or another, it escapes me. But but the, the two characters run parallel, um, and it was clearly designed, like you said, to, to conjure this ludite um, vibe uh, from the Omega Man and put it into the Matrix, at least the sequel. So um, this is what a cult casting is, and uh, it's it's an interesting study. And uh, like I said, in my, in my opinion, I think it, when, when I, I first started talking about this in the second movie book, and by the time I got finished up the third one, it, in my opinion, like I said, it kind of evolved on it, where to me, this is really coming out of the world of hermeticism. I think of Giordano Bruno and Raymond Lully with the art of memory. Um, and that, that's what this really seems more akin to to me, um, is placing these there and, you know, you know, it's, it's designed to evoke a memory of some kind. And, and in this case, what the previous actor's baggage is from another film. And it works quite effectively. At least I think it does. Yeah, and it must not be easy because, and as you talk in cinema symbolism, not you have a cold casting, you've got synchro mysticism. There could be predictive programming. It could just be trolling from the writers and the direct. Here's an Easter egg. Yeah, so you yeah. have always this constellation of wonder of symbols in every movie but I, and you really can't really pin it down like for example stanley kubrick there's always something about pedophilia in all of his movies pretty much from the shining to lolita but we don't know if he's warning us if he's mocking us is is, is he into it we just have to kind of as a researcher, right, Rob, you just kind of have to, here's the evidence and I can't yeah. come to a conclusion. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's, it's me being a lawyer. I mean, I present the evidence and you decide. I, I, I view my reader as a jury and I present the evidence and I let you decide. I mean, I think that um, if you watch Lolita at the very, the one movie he hated that he disowned was um, Spartacus. Uh, that was the only movie he disowned. And there is a um, scene at the beginning of Lolita where the Peter Sellers character, Quilty, mocks it. Um, and I always thought that scene in The Shining where um, where Jack Nicholson has the male porno mag, uh, Playgirl, mm -hmm. I always thought that was, that was a, a tongue-in-cheek mocking of Spartacus by um, Kubrick because the one scene that he wanted in, um, this is the infamous snails and oysters scene, between right. Lawrence Olivier and Tony Curtis, this homoerotic scene in Spartacus mm. that was cut out. Um, and I think it irked Kubrick to no end where Tony Curtis is giving um, Lawrence Olivier a bath in a Roman spa. And he talks about snails and oysters. And you see where the conversation's going, of course. And uh, Tony Curtis is calling uh, Lawrence Olivier master through the entire, uh, you know, scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you, know, you know, you know, Kubrick, Kubrick does that. He puts these little... Um, you know, tongue in cheek, you know, Easter eggs, if you want in, in his, in his cinema. I mean, they're all over the damn place. And like you said, it's, it's, it's what is what um, I was watching a movie uh, on Blu-ray called piercing. Uh, it was a movie that was released in 2018. It's about sadomasochism. It stars Mia Wasikowski. Um, and uh, it harkens back to this movie she made a few years earlier called Stoker. 
Um, and she wears this, uh, she has a fetish in this movie for black and white saddle shoes. And when you watch um, Piercing, uh, here she comes into the room wearing what else but black and white high-heeled shoes. And I thought, oh, here we go again. You know, here they're hearkening back to this other movie that she made. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I put it in there and I kind of leave it up to the reader to decide, is it good? Is it evil? Is it manipulation? Is it tongue in cheek? Is it mind control? I view myself, um, you yeah, know, I'm you a lawyer. Movies that predicted yeah. 9-11. You don't leave anything. You say these movies we know predicted 9-11 from Fight Club to The Matrix to so many others. So you do put out this could easily all be supernatural, Jungian unconscious kind of sure. stuff. It could it could be that, or it could be intentional. I mean, there's yeah, so, I mean, so the, one, the, the one the one thing, and the, you know, this is this is something you'll you'll appreciate is you do have, and um, whether you call it synchronicity, the collective unconscious, from about 1997 to about 2002, you have this rash of Gnostic movies released. I mean, this is the ones we always talk about are released from 97 to 02: The Matrix, Truman Show, Vanilla Sky, Existence, Thirteenth um, Floor. Yeah, 13th, you cover all these. 13th floor, Donnie Darko, they all come out in this in this five-year time frame, and they all reflect 9-11. I don't know why. Um, I, I don't know what, what this is about, but each one of those movies in some form or fashion, Vanilla Sky, The Matrix, Donnie Darko, all seem to talk about 9-11. They put it in. I mean, and then you get into the synchronicity of this thing, and this is something else I find out. I found out. You get the release of the movies. I mean, Fight Club came out like September 21st. Um, 1999. I mean, there's almost two years to the day. The Simpsons episode with Bart where he waves the money in front of the 9-11 magazine. I mean, this is like September 21st, 1997, two years earlier. So, I mean, you had this like roadmap going almost right to the date of this thing um, where, you know, this imagery in popular culture, this this pre-9-11 imagery is is popping up. I, I don't try to explain it. I just put it in. The, the most, you know, the, the one thing I always turned to was the world of Carl Jung, we get into the works of Emanuel Schwettenborg, you know, you know, using, you know, dream vision, prophecy, the artistic expression as prophetic, um, transcendent, as it were. I mean, this comes out of the world of Platonism. Uh, so, you know, that's kind of where this path has led me to. Could it be intentional and Hollywood filmmakers are privy to, you know, some sort of secret information? Yeah, of course. I mean, as I mentioned in the books, I mean, you have Yankee Doodle Dandy that was uh, war propaganda. The first couple of uh, the, the the Basil Rathbone, you know, not universal um, Sherlock Holmes movies with Nigel Bruce, not the 20th Century Fox ones, but the first ones, couple we made for Universal, they're all war propaganda. Um, the FBI reviewed the scripts of the X-Files. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, of course, you know, you always got to take that into consideration. Yeah. And uh Again, you have such a great eye, eyesight. Uh, yes, I agree with you. There was something going on. Maybe it was the change of the millennium. Maybe it was the deep state was bringing down the hammer and it, people were just having more gnosis. Maybe we were having a Gnostic awakening and they had to shut us down with Iraq and 9-11. You know what I mean? The yeah. terrible beginning of the shitty beginning of the 21st century, <laughs> which we haven't recovered in style and music. And it's just been a disaster. But uh, you always bring us some good points, like um, Donnie Darko, one of the great Gnostic films of all times. I had, and I've broken this movie down, and I'm glad you explained. You explained perfectly the science of the tangential universe and what oh. Donnie Darko. He's the the Gnostic savior with it. From, but I didn't know at the Halloween party, his sister Elizabeth, you caught she's dressed as someone from the movie Lolita, which brings right. a new wrinkle to the. Yeah, right. She's she's well. The whole this is again this pedophile um, this pedophile theme uh, into into this. The the um, I mean, for starters, just let me take a quick time out here. If anyone hasn't seen Donnie Darko, it's it's a fantastic movie. I absolutely love it. I found some parallels with my own life in it, believe it or not. But I'm going to leave that aside. If you have not seen the movie, by all means, watch the director's cut. Um, get the director's cut and, and with the pages from the the time book in it that Roberta Sparrow wrote, that will help explain the movie so much more than the theatrical version. If, if, you, if you've seen the theatrical version, you liked it, by, which I, I have both of them here, I have both of them on Blu-ray, by all means, get the, I cannot stress it enough, get the director's cut, it is fantastic. It's a phenomenal movie, I absolutely love it. The character that Maggie Gyllenhaal plays, this is a sister Elizabeth, at the Halloween party, she's dressed as Vivian Darkbloom. 
Um, this is Quilty. This is Quilty. This is Peter Sellers' Hatchet Woman uh, from Lolita. And of course, you just got right off the bat the parallel with the names. I mean, Dark Bloom, Darko. Um, and in Donnie Darko, there is a deep pedophilic theme um, with the uh, Cunningham character. This is the Patrick Swayze, JC, Jesus Christ. I mean, this tells you what um, Richard Kelly thinks of Christianity. I mean, even when, <laughs> when, even when Swayze's introduced in the film, for Christ's sake, he, you know, I mean, he, blonde hair, blue eyes in front of the rising sun on the golf course. I mean, do I have to get any more neoplatonic than that? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, then you know, in, in of course, with Lolita, it's all about, I guess the proper word is a hebophile, uh, probably maybe maybe better than a pedophile. Um, so, so you have um, Richard Kelly linking um, those two movies, Lolita with Kubrick and um, and his film, Donnie Darko. The, the one thing, the one thing that I, I picked up on with this um with, with these Hollywood filmmakers today is they love Kubrick. I mean, they love Kubrick. I mean, any ch- chance one of these modern filmmakers gets to, to to pay an homage to Kubrick, I don't know why. I mean, he's a great filmmaker, granted, but they just love paying, you know, paying tribute to Kubrick. Um, and that's that's one with uh, Richard Kelly, with uh, the, the sister dressed as Vivian Darkbloom in, uh, in Lolita. Yeah, what a great coincidence. Uh, we've got Robert Sullivan tonight, Cinema Symbolism and AB Live. I hope you are enjoying it. And Vance, uh, do you have any questions or questions from the audience or comments on any Gnostic movies? Well, we got one question from our friend, uh, Mr. Umas. And um, what's the best movie to watch with Enochian script subtitles? <laughs> <laughs> the best one to watch with Enochian script subtitles, The Witch with Roger Eggers. Uh, the uh, chanting at the end is Enochian. Um, so you want mm. to watch you want to watch um, the uh, witch for Enochian script. And I've okay, here's here's my question. What does Twin Peaks mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, this is uh, this is. I mean, where where do you want where do you want to start? I mean, oh gosh, do, I've been very much do, into it. You know, uh, we could about... do uh, a whole show on Twin Peaks. I mean, oh, I know. Already, you know, I'm so sure. I mean, you know, it's 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 such a. I mean, I think Twin Peaks takes up I don't know how many pages of the book, but I mean that is just such a deep um, study. You know, I mean, when you're dealing with Lynch, I mean, you're always dealing with duality. I mean, that's the one oh, thing yeah. that you know, you know, he enjoys more than anything else. Is duality doubles? I mean, that's all he's or, or, or you know. triality because some of the doubles get another an, another uh, member. Yeah, I mean, you right? get that with the the Laura Dern uh, character um, in in the Return. Yep. I think it's Cleve three times, if I recall yes. correctly. Yeah. Yep. So, what do you think happened to Cooper in the end? Uh, you know, oh. at the last uh, part eighteen and everything. What year is it? Like, okay, now what? You well, well, what's well, your interpretation? Yeah, I mean, it, it looks like it looks like the demiurge. Judy sent um, Cooper into a parallel dimension um, of some kind using electricity, um, which of course um, has occult significance as well. But it looks like to me that the demiurge, um, you know, you have, I guess the demiurge would be Judy, the little monkey, the Reese's monkey, I believe it is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then I guess the monad is the fireman, the giant, I suppose. Um, but it looked like the demiurge cast uh, Cooper into an alternative dimension. That's that's what I got out of it. Um, and again, you you have, I believe, at the end, um, if I recall correctly, the um, you know like a bleed through, like a Mandela bleed through, where it, don't don't you when they pan up to the house before yeah. um, Cheryl Lee screams, Laura Palmer screams. Don't you hear or see something in the house that triggers? Oh, it flashes! Like, it flashes! Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. And it goes you dark. Like, yeah, you got like a parallel dimension bleeding through or the original dimension. I guess it would be in that case. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, when, when you're dealing with Lynch, I mean, the one thing that's always consistent is he obfuscates just for the sake of obfuscating. I mean, you can never, you can never come up with a complete rational. I mean, I guess, it, I guess in Blue Velvet you can, in The Elephant Man you can, but you get into some of this stuff like Twin Peaks, Lost Highway. I mean, it's impossible to um, fully piece together what he's going for, and he wants yeah. it. So. Multiple but solutions. I think, uh, but I think we can say we've always su- suspected, but in episode eight, he he just he he does reveal oh. his Gnosticism because oh, that's absolutely. a complete Gnostic cosmology from the Secret Book of John, right? Right. I mean, I mean, you've got that. I think it's called God of Light, um, and this is where <laughs> yeah, this is where you have 
when you look at the TV show that aired on ABC and even Firewalk with me, I mean, you have this great alchemical storyline. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not surprising that he goes this Gnostic theme because, I mean, of course, the alchemists all took their ideas from the Gnostics where you have, I mean, the monad is the fireman. You have him emanating Sophia, which is, uh, you know, Laura. Laura. Yeah. I mean, you have, uh, you know, Cooper is sort of the Gnostic Christ. Uh, you have the um, fireman. Uh, what is it? The, the the bums, the street people, as the archons. Oh, the, yeah, the and and, I, I thought, yeah. I, yeah, and, I, and I thought it was interesting because I, I I thought that it's interesting that he has the bums as as the archons because I thought oh you know I thought back to Mulholland Drive I thought oh we have the bum behind uh, right. Rookies. the dumpster is, is this, yeah yeah is no. this is this an archon terrorizing Diane um, you know I kind of I kind of you know is this is, is is Lynch trying to link the two universes as it were. Um, which is another thing these filmmakers like to do. So, yeah, I mean, you do get with that one episode of, of Twin Peaks, The Return, you finally get Lynch revealing the the Gnostic cosmology behind Twin Peaks. I, I like the episode. I thought it was very good. I mean, what is it where Bob, uh, I guess, is sort of the chief archon, gets emanated from the nuclear blast? Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff there. Yeah, yeah Jude throws, throws him up in the stream of garbage with all the eggs and the frog moth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Think, what do you think of the frog moth? What is he? Uh, what does the frog moth represent? What, what was it? You have to refresh. You have to refresh my memory. Remember the, the the kind of bug? It was a half of a frog in the back, and it was like a bug with wings in the front, and it was crawled across the desert. And uh, is this the as thing that the, gets into uh, the mother, is this the thing that gets into the no. mother? Yes, yes, yeah. crawls into her mouth when she's a little girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, yeah I guess it's uh, that the mother is some sort of host to a some sort of space creature archon monster of some kind strange <laughs> yep <laughs> oh boy yeah and lynch is uh, so dualistic he's straight out of money i mean yeah. every character is either on the side of light or completely on the side of darkness there's no of course he uh, blends them like a jungian thing too because the uh, cooper in the end and at the end of the return he was kind of a blend between mr c and the old, you know, Vanilla Cooper, who was, you know, the young one, he, he's, he's kind of became realistic, quote unquote. He kind of integrated the two pieces. Young's individuation. Yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. All right. God, there's so many cool Gnostic films we could talk about. It almost seems we should have you on more than once. But why don't we get daring here? Uh, I'm going to first ask Rob, then uh, I guess I'll ask Van, so he has time to prepare. Uh, what would you say are the top five Gnostic movies, Rob? Your favorite or most influential? And again, I agree with all your movies, whether it's uh, Metropolis, very Gnostic, uh, Alice in Wonderland, classic Gnostic, Wizard of Oz. Vance has written articles on this. But what would you say for you, I'm going to assume Donnie Darko has to be there. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess for me, the number one, not, I mean, if you just wanted me to get into Gnostic movies and ones that I like, I mean, I guess for me, I guess the, the, the king of all the Gnostic films, I mean, like, has to be The Matrix, the very first one. I mean, I guess from a Gnostic standpoint, especially from a Valentinus standpoint, I mean, that's got everything in it that you're looking for. I love Fight Club. Um, I think that would be maybe, you know, 1A up there. Of course, Donnie Darko would be up there. Um, Metropolis, I think, has a lot of Gnostic overtones. I'm a fan of that movie. Um, I always, uh, the, the the other one that's up there, um, I like Dark City. I, th- I think that's a, a, an excellent movie uh, for Gnosticism. And that actually is interesting because that actually uses uh, the same set, some of them, from The Matrix. Uh, the rooftop, really? wow. yeah, and and the hotel. It's the same. Uh, it's the same set from the Matrix. Uh, so I guess for me number one and number two would be the Matrix and Fight Club. But there's so many good ones. Donnie Darko would be up there also. Um, there's so many good ones, uh, and 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 those are always um, great movies to analyze. I, I think people really like them because it it does it, it always involves a awakening to conscious. Um, and an identification of selfhood. And I think that resonates. I think that resonates with audiences. Yeah, and because they're like, they're really documentaries too. I think people like documentaries. And uh, speaking of Dark City, uh, was it Alex Proyas? He obviously directed uh, The Crow, I Robot. So he's uh, knowing. So knowing, I was yeah. wondering 
Yeah, we don't know anything about him except he was born in Alexandria, Egypt. So a Greek guy born in Alexandria, Egypt was probably soaking in those ancient mysteries. So interesting to to put that in. Well, Vince, what about you? Top five uh, Gnostic movies that you Okay. Well, uh, Robert uh, mentioned some of my favorites, so I'll mention some of the other ones he didn't, which is, I'm going to go way, way back, Forbidden Planet. Mm which is a wonderful, wonderful movie based on Shakespeare's The Tempest, you know, yeah. the, the, the inner knowing, know thyself, right? Um, Mother, we haven't mentioned Mother yet. Mother, fantastic. I love, there's so much symbolism in that. It's yes. a giant, giant brain, right? And um, Constantine, I thought just Constantine was just very cool, you know, with the with the corrupt angel. That was, <laughs> hey, what, what more do you want for an archon, right? Tilda Swinton, the fantastic... Devil's Advocate. Uh, I mm -hmm. like Devil's Advocate. That was very, very, very good. The Fountain, of course. Got to mention The Fountain. Yeah, I was going to mention, too. I'm sure all of us agree that if you want to talk about who's the most Gnostic director, we could talk Lynch, but Aronofsky's got to be the most Gnostic. I mean, every one of his movies is yeah. Gnostic. <laughs> yeah, yeah Lynch Go ahead. Lynch isn't intentionally Gnostic, but I think Arnofsky might be. Lynch is just out there, you know. He's well, yeah, dragging I mean, it up from the TM depths of the well. You know, this is the water, and this is the well. I do TM, and I bring it up swell. <laughs> and Vance is absolutely correct. I mean, Mother, Mother, from a Gnostic standpoint, you know, again, is one of those movies. You know, you clearly have the demiurge and Sophia identified. Um, you know, and it's it's very symbolic, very symbolic movie. I would say so too, and an excellent movie as well. Any other questions from the audience, uh, Vance? Well, let's see. Somebody wanted to talk about space balls. <laughs> 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 that falls under the Star Wars. So anything you say yeah. for Star Wars, just turn it upside down. That space balls. Yeah. But, I, but they did have a good section of the space balls where my favorite part of it is where they want to find out what's going to happen in the future so they pop in space balls right the movie <laughs> into the vhs they, they fast forward it and all of a sudden they see themselves <laughs> that yeah, was Mel Brooks has no problem breaking down the fourth <laughs> wall or deconstructing his own movie that was that good was so yeah I'll, yeah some people are saying the never-ending story somebody mentioned that as a um uh, and people like Dark City. Uh, I don't see a lot of questions. What did I miss? Yeah, I don't see anything right now. Awesome, awesome. Well, I know I've got plenty. And, uh, and of course, as you argue, Rob, uh, the Star Wars universe might be just a simulation inside the Matrix, right? Well, that's right. Uh, yeah, yeah. You've got that, uh, that scene in, um, at the beginning of uh, Attack of the Clones where you have, uh, you know, you have all the actors from uh, the Matrix turning up. The woman in red and a mouse right there, and you have the, uh, you know, the the what is it, the uh, red drink and the uh, uh, blue drink or whatever it is. So yeah, I mean, I thought that, I thought that was kind of interesting. Is Luke is trying to uh, tell us this is all a false simulation, Star Wars a false reality? Uh, interesting. It is. And Vanilla Sky, of course, uh, talk about it's not quite the simulation, but I don't want to do any spoilers. Well, no, that's uh, that's got you know one of the ultimate nine eleven uh, again images in it at the very end, um, where he jumps off the building in front of the uh, World Trade Centers. For God's sakes, yeah. Uh, I mean, you, you can't help but think of uh, those people falling off, and uh, yeah, I mean, again, that's one of those uh, false reality movies. What's real? What isn't? And um, I always I, I like that movie. I always thought uh, you know it is kind of a depressing movie downer. Yeah, were you know it's kind of like um, uh, the one with uh, Christopher Reeve, um, uh, the one where somewhere in time, somewhere in time, bedtime return with the good. novel. Based yeah, yeah, on. yeah. Good but, you know, one of, yeah, good movie, kind of a downer though. Um, so you know, Looney Tunes predicted nine eleven. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but my son's into watching Looney Tunes. He's been buying all sorts of DVDs, and in one of the Looney Tunes, I think it's Bugs Bunny he says, "The towers, they're falling, they're falling," and it's about New York. It's in New York, and 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 uh, it was during World War Two or something. Then the towers didn't even exist, but he was saying, "The towers, they're falling." Oh yeah, you you, you could go back in time and find and find some really you know strange ones. I mean, there's the. Uh, um, the scene in uh, Escape from New York, uh, where they're flying the plane into Lower Manhattan, uh, that's one. And then there's the um, 
the one I was just watching the other day, um, I mean, it's kind of a bit of a stretch, but still kind of interesting, is a Ghostbusters where all the phantoms escape from the um, from the ecto containment system and they come swirling up and you see the sky, New York skyline with all the ghosts swirling around uh, the Twin Towers from, you know, see it from Sigourney Weaver's standpoint. I thought that was always uh, a little interesting. So, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you can go back in time with it. That's for certain. It, it gets escalated, though, as it gets closer to the event. That's irrefutable. I have my own theory about the towers. I don't know if you've ever heard this one. I think it might have been a magical event because in the 90s, there was a thing called Microsoft Flight Simulator. Mm -hmm. And it was very groundbreaking. And they had a New York City skyline. It was rather primitive, but you could recognize the buildings, including the Twin Towers. And one of the most favorite things people would do is they would fly into the towers with the plane in yeah, Microsoft Simulator. Yeah, that's crazy. If and enough people did the, that. Uh, you had the um, the one, the other one with the uh, X-Files, which was um, the same year. It was like March of 2001. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, it was the, that year. Yeah. The lone gunman where, where the plane is hijacked and they were going to fly it into the World Trade Centers. And I, I like the, and then the Patriot from uh, 2000 with Mel Gibson, uh, where he makes the chair. Uh, and it weigh, it's at the very beginning of the movie and it make, weighs nine pounds, 11 ounces. And he sits in it and it comes crumbling down, <laughs> you know. So <laughs> take your pick. There's loads of them. Yeah, it's an archetype, some sort of thing that print through <laughs> on the tape of the simulation. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we were talking about uh, the movie Parasite. Of course, if we're talking about Gnostic movies, we have to mention Snowpiercer. Oh, cool. uh, that's, uh, it's not even uh, that's so overtly Gnostic. And, of course, Ed Harris again, plays the Demiurge in The Truman Show and Snowpiercer and in Westworld. So like I say, whoever has uh, Ed Harris's agent must work for the Archons because he gets that same role. And, <laughs> the Archon uh, casting. Yeah, they, they down, they down, but they downgraded him to Adam in Mother. So Yes, yes, you're right. You're correct, yeah. Adam's such a loser in uh, these Gnostic tales. Uh, mm -hmm. We should, of course, mention the Lego movie. That's another classic. And oh, yeah. yeah, all these movies are dealt yeah. with uh, very well. Fascinating in your book. But what about, would you consider, what, what genre would you consider? Oh, wait, Blade Runner 2. And Rob does a great job with Blade Runner 2049. But Pan's Labyrinth, uh, Rob, what would you consider it? categorize yeah. it as well that's like uh that's like uh del toro who is also expert with this stuff um you know that's that's his fairy tale i i, I see it as a, it's like an archetypal you know fairy tale i mean you've got the ogre father uh you know you've got the little girl who is obviously you know an Al alice in wonderland analog um and I thought I thought that movie was fantastic. There's the number three is all over the place in that, and that has to do with what's known as the rule of three, um, which you'll find all over the place in fairy tales. Um, and there was a movie. There was a they did just did one that came out. I think it was in, in 19, maybe it may have been 18. Uh, I think they reversed it. It was called um, was it Hansel and Gretel? It was Gretel and Hansel? And that movie uses the rule of three all over the place. Um, and I, I liked, uh, oh, I mean, who doesn't love Pan's Labyrinth? I mean, that's a great film, uh, you know, taking place in uh, the, the Nazi Spain. Uh, good stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, it's Stigmata's probably worth mentioning, right? Stigmata with the Gospel of Thomas featuring the sort of. Yeah, yeah. I mean. And then you, you, get, you get with that one. I mean, you know, again, the, these filmmakers draw from a lot of source material when the little girl um, Ophelia goes to the dies at the end and goes to the magical realm. I mean, she has the red shoes on again. This is the Alice in Wonderland, uh, excuse me, the Wizard of Oz, uh, you know, analogy going on. So, um, you know, yeah, I, I, Pan's Labyrinth, fantastic movie. Yeah, I would agree too. And probably he's, yeah, none of his movies after that have that impressed me, believe it or not. Whether it's, uh, was it Red, what, what's the name of that movie? Red. Oh my God. Crimson Tide. I thought it was Crimson okay. Peak. Crimson Peak. Yeah, Crimson Tide. That's like the action movie. No, Crimson Peak was okay. Uh, uh, Hellboy was okay. But I think yeah. The Shape of Water, he definitely seems to have catch it. Uh, I liked uh, Pacific yeah. Rim. I, I love Pacific Rim, and the kids love it because it's. Uh, I like. I liked uh, I like Crimson Peak. That's a remake of The Shining. Um, the parallel between those movies is astounding. I like The Shape of Water um, in Baltimore, and that, of course, is set in Baltimore. And 
Uh, there's, a, you know, there's some interesting things going on. I think meant maybe for only people from Baltimore would pick up on that movie runs parallel with a movie made by uh, John Waters called Hairspray. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'm not talking about the musical one, uh, the original one from like the 80s. Uh, they're set in the time exact same time frame, those two movies. And uh, that was a little interesting nod that I thought with uh, John Waters there. But no, I like Del Toro. Um, you know, I, I like his films. I, I think he's pretty good. I like Pan's Labyrinth. I like Crimson Peak. I like Shape of Water. I thought Hellboy was okay. I never saw Pacific Rim, uh, but uh, I'll have to definitely check it out. And there you have it, my beloved true seekers. The first part of our AB Live with the most cool Robert Sullivan. The man has a third eye for the esoterica in the Babylon that is Hollywood. As a bonus for patrons, Red Circle members, and AB Prime members, as I mentioned in the intro, I'll include a section from our last Cinema Symbolism interview where Robert took a deep dive into David Lynch, from his philosophy to his cinematic style. We also covered V for Vendetta, and From Hell, and other Alan Moore films, and also Freemason themes in Hollywood movies, and much more. Perfect compliment, and you won't want to miss it. Yes, heresy is really so much damn fun especially when you're uncovering Hollywood. Including the audio version, this is a cool listen if you leverage the private RSS feed from AB Prime or Patreon or Red Circle that works in the podcast provider of your choice. And yes, speaking of Red Circle, you can now get a simple private RSS feed for less than five bucks a month. Check it out in the show notes. So please become a member of Patreon or Red Circle subscriber for the full audio interview and to support this Red Pill Cafeteria. Go to thegodabovegod.com for means to assist and get the infernal rewards. Or just contact me. Whether it's Patreon or AB Prime or Red Circle, it will cost you about a buck per episode. And that's a deal of many lifetimes. The alternative spirituality and philosophy of the Gnostics is more important than ever. Might be the only way to counteract the nutsack grip Yaldi Baldi has placed on the collective consciousness of humanity. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true self. Here in the desert of the real. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.